following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
need a miracle. And Jesus is the miracle worker. We need a miracle because the wrath of God is about to be poured out in judgment, in destruction, in fire. We need a miracle. Now I come, and I must begin this broadcast with a very honest confession. I have not sufficiently considered the wrath of God. I'm an American. And while intellectually I understand the wrath of God in part, emotionally I've not been prepared for the wrath of God. Somehow, emotionally, I've not been involved in the wrath of God. And until we are emotionally involved in the wrath of God, we will not act. Yes, I've put away all known sin from my heart and my life. Yes, I'm walking clean in so far as I know. But I have found yet a deadness in my spirit. I've been very troubled by that deadness. And I've been crying out to God about that. And part of what I'm beginning to understand is that that deadness is the lack of emotional involvement in the truth of the wrath of God against sinners and sin. I want you today to not be entertained. I'm not doing this broadcast to be interesting. I'm going to speak some very sober truth to you. I know the wrath of God is about to fall on President Joe Biden. He has sinned grievously against the Lord and against America. The wrath of God is going to fall on other parts of our nation, our government. God has allowed wickedness to exponentially grow in just the last five years. It's as though a geyser opened in America and the filth has just spread everywhere. Lies, lies, and more lies. Perversion, grotesque provision, perversion, grotesque perversion. Teaching little children that it's okay to be gay or to transition and become a transgender. That's, I'll be very honest with you, that's child abuse. And it should be prosecuted as child abuse. Now, I'm aware that many will not agree with what I'm saying. It doesn't matter whether you agree or not. It matters what the Word of God says. And he's saying that God's wrath is about to be poured out on this nation because of the wickedness of this nation and the whole world. The murders. Our ground is soaked with the blood of people being murdered day by day by the murder of babies day by day. Our nation is soaked in blood. And that murder is going to be exposed and judgment is going to come. We're going to see a total financial collapse in this nation. We're going to see a huge drop in the stock market, in housing, in the equities. Now, I'm not an economist. I'm a pastor. I listen to what the Lord God of heaven says to me. We're right on the verge of the precipice, and we're going to see incredible wrath of God poured out on this nation. His judgments are about to fall. Now, I want to start today by going back 
in the book of Exodus to the children of Israel, they have made a covenant with God that they will worship him alone and that they will not have any foreign gods. They've made a covenant with God, a covenant of blood. As Moses is up on the mountain, getting the plans that God is giving him for a nation to be in fellowship with himself, they turn to the the prosperity God. They turn to the calf God, to the fertility God. And God is angry. He says the people have become corrupt. That is, they have become like rotten fruit with maggots and flies. And they're too rotten for consumption. And God is angry. Moses goes down. He throws down the table of stones, breaking them, thus saying, you've broken the covenant with God. He calls for the Levites, those who have rallied to him, and he says, strap on your sword and go through the whole encampment and kill every man that you find who is celebrating the calf God. That day, 3,000 men died, executed by the sword at the command of God. The next day, Moses, in chapter 32, says, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. He's gone to God to try to intervene. God was ready to destroy the whole nation. I want to say this, please hear me. God will not tolerate sin. His justice will not allow him to tolerate sin in his people. And his wrath comes when his people sin against him, let alone when pagans sin against him. In verse 33, the Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. Chapter 33, the Lord tells Moses, Now leave this place, this Mount Sinai. Go on to the promised land. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. They began to mourn. Now, Moses speaks to the Lord. You've told me in chapter 33, verse 12, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replies, my presence will go with you. Literally, my presence will walk with you. And I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? We need God to go with us. And right now, the Lord God of heaven 
in his wrath, has withdrawn from the American church. Well, yes, some are still pretending that the Holy Spirit is there, but he's been drawn back. And America is being given over to darkness and to judgment. And the American church, with its false theology of the sinning Christian, is under the judgment of God. Now, I want to share with you I want to share with you quite a number of scriptures. I ask you to get paper and pencil, jot down these scriptures, and then I urge you to go back and read them again and pray over them. And I'm going to read these from the Revised Standard Version because it's a little more literal than the NIV. It's a better translation. Now, we're going to begin in Isaiah 26. Verse 20. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the wrath runs its course or until the indignation runs its course. Well, who are they hiding from? Who are they being told to hide from? Are they being told to hide from the devil? No, God's people never hide from the devil. God's people know how to deal with the devil if they are true followers of Jesus. They know that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the devil, and demons are driven out. They're not hidden from. No, the Lord is saying, go in your room and shut the door, be hidden away. And I can tell you now that he is going to give us places of hiding, places of abiding as his judgments fall upon America and the rest of the world. He will give us a hiding place. He will give us rooms to enter in and doors to close until his wrath passes by. I'll show you that in just a moment when we go to the book of Revelation. Verse 21, For behold, the Lord is about to come from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. So it is God who is coming in judgment. It is God who comes with wrath. It is Jesus who comes. He is the judge with wrath. And his wrath is about to fall on America. Don't be surprised. Don't be disheartened. Go hide away. I hope you've put some food away. I hope you've taken care of making sure you know where you are. Ask the Lord where he would have you go and what he would have you do. Because as his wrath begins to fall, God's people are going to have to go hide away. Now, I'm just going to go through these sequentially. In the book of Nahum, this is a book of vision against Nineveh, that extremely wicked place. No, the first passage of Scripture was Isaiah 26, verses 20 through 21. Now we go to the book of Nahum. Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum. Chapter 1. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way. 
and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the blossoms of Lebanon wither, mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation or his wrath? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. That was Nahum, the first chapter. Now I want to go to the New Testament. There are many other Old Testament passages where the Lord says, in the end of time, I'm going to totally level the earth. There will be very few people left alive on the earth. In John, the third chapter, verse 35 and 36, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you today are still walking in any known rebellion or sin against Jesus, the wrath of God rests on you, and you are not saved and cannot be saved in that condition. This is the Gospel of John. This is the actual word of Jesus. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We need to take this very seriously. Most Christians, so-called, in America, have the wrath of God on them. Most pastors in America still have the wrath of God resting on you, and you are trusting in lies. Read carefully the entire book of Jude. Read carefully the third chapter of 1 John. That's 1 John, the third chapter. Now let me go next to the book of Romans. Romans, the first chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Anyone who is walking in unrighteousness, who calls himself a Christian, is suppressing the truth of God and making of none effect the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the wrath of God still remains. In Romans, the second chapter, but because of your stubbornness, this is Romans, the second chapter, verses 5 through 8. Romans, the second chapter, verses 5 through 8. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So today, Christians believe a lie that they can sin and still go to heaven. And so the scriptures are saying that what you are actually doing is not walking in salvation. You are walking in wrath, and that wrath is now being stored up. You're not receiving it yet. You don't see it yet, but wrath is being stored up under your account. And you are going to be lost and face the wrath of God. Look carefully at John, the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, where he says, if you're not bearing fruit, and fruit is righteousness, innocence, if you're not bearing that fruit in actual reality in your life, the Lord is saying you're going to be cut off from the vine, and you're going to be cast aside 
and you will slowly dry out, and when you're dry, you will be cast into the fire, and many of you are drying out. You're not eager about Jesus. You're not seeking his face. You're not crying out to the Lord for mercy. You're not reaching out to the lost. You're withholding your monies from the work of the gospel. You're storing up wrath for that day of wrath, and it's coming in your lifetime in a matter probably of days. It's almost upon us. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. Now, you hear we are saved by faith and not by works. Yes, but we are saved by faith, that is real faith, in Jesus Christ, in whom we are made righteous in reality by imparted grace, not infu- by infused grace, not by imparted grace. It's not a false grace. It's real grace. We are totally made new. We are born again. We are made into the image of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ does not live in you in sin. That's foolishness. If you believe that, you are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, judgment. I want to go on to some other scriptures, please. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, unrighteousness is clearly identified. In the fifth chapter, verse 19, these are the things that will bring the wrath of God upon you. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident or manifest. These are the outworking of an inner sin issue that rests in your soul. And these are the things that you'll be doing. He says, immorality. In other words, sexual sin. Impurity. Sexual thoughts that are improper for a Christian. Sensuality the way you dress to attract attention to yourself and say, hey, I'm sexy, I'm here, baby, come and get me. So many women today wear their clothes as weapons. Sensuality. Triggering in men uncleanness. Men dressing sensually in such a manner that they attract the women. Pastor David Wilkerson, when he was alive, he was my father in the faith. I said to him one day as we sat talking and praying in his office, David, Brother David, I called him. He called me Brother Ray. I said, What one sin do you see that is most destructive in your church? He said, oh, pastor, I I see a number of different sins, pride, arrogance, hardness of heart. But if you ask me what is most evident, it is sensuality. I said, what do you mean, brother? He said, I watch men and women come to church. 
And basically, the only reason they've come to church is to hook up with somebody. I see their eyes wandering over the congregation looking for someone that they can attract so they can hook up, go to bed with. He said, I immediately begin to rebuke that spirit of sensuality. But it's been a major problem for me from day one in the Times Square Church. Verse 20, this is Galatians 5, verse 20, idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything ahead of God. Family, money, prestige, power, idolatry. Sorcery, trying to manipulate the spirit realm to force it to produce for me what I think it should be producing. Enmities. I hear Christians say, I don't sit close to that person. I hate their guts. They've wronged me. I hate them. I wish they wouldn't come to church. I wish they'd just die. People say all kinds of things about others. It even happens in families with daughters, sons, criticizing mom and dad. Don't talk to them. Separate from them. Separate the grandkids from them. It happens between people, friends. Get angry over some foolish thing and cut them off. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Disputes. Always arguing for your position on the inconsequential. It says there's a a deep inner place in your heart where you're desperately desiring to be right. Dissensions. Factions. Dissensions cause factions. Somebody in the church doesn't like what's happening and they'll begin to go talk to other people until finally they have a whole faction gathered together. Pastor David, Brother David, invited me to come to New York City. He said, I need to see you, Ray. There are issues going on we need to talk and pray about. I said, okay, I'm on my way. I drove up. I met him in his office. My wife and I sat with him. And he began to weep. He began to talk how his brother, who was on staff with him, had gotten together with the choir director at Times Square Church, and they had gathered a whole number of people, 250 people all together. And they had formed a faction and tried to force David out as senior pastor. It was very destructive for the Times Square Church. David had to fire or let go his brother and the choir director. And they moved off to start a new church. And Pastor David went before the Lord and said, O Lord, I am innocent in this matter. I have not done what they have accused me of doing. I have only obeyed your voice. If I am righteous before you, I'm asking that this Sunday we could have 250 new decisions for membership at this church to replace these who have lost. He said, brother, there were 250 new confessions of faith and requests for membership this last Sunday. But he said, now, brother, we need to pray. We need to pray for my brother. We need to pray for those 250 people. So we went into deep prayer together. Later, his brother repented. He could not be restored to membership, but he restored the family to fellowship. Many of the others also repented. Some did not. 
Verse 21, envying, that was what caused the dissension and the faction that was so destructive to the church. Drunkenness, carousing. What is carousing? Have you ever been someplace where you were invited and soon the volume is increasing? People are laughing uproariously. A pagan gathering or even a so-called Christian gathering and the wine, the alcohol is flowing and things become very unruly as people are boisterously speaking and laughing and joking and that's called carousing. It's a sign of evil among those people. And things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I have another scripture I want to share with you. This one is found in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'll begin reading at verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins. So if you have been baptized and brought into the church, but you continue willfully sinning against the Lord in known rebellion, you continue living with that person shacked up, you continue walking in a lust for money, You continue walking in your way of wickedness. You are storing up wrath for yourself for the great day of wrath. And we are right on the edge of that great day of wrath. Your life is literally in the hand of God, and he is making a decision about what he's going to do with you. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries of Moses. I'm sorry, consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, by which he was made holy, present tense, made holy, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Grace is not a covering for sin. That is an insult of the Spirit of grace. Grace, according to Titus, is to teach us to say no to ungodliness, to uncleanness. You are treating the blood of Jesus Christ as unclean if you do not believe that the blood of Jesus Christ can today, now, remove every bondage of sin from your heart and from your life. If you say you're not going to be made holy until you die, you are treating the blood of Jesus as though it were just the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of bulls and goats in the old covenant only could cover sin. And you were declared righteous. You were not made righteous. But in the new covenant, you are made righteous. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now I'm going to go quickly to one last passage of Scripture. This is found 
in the book of Revelation. I want to tell you that the Lord God of heaven is merciful and kind. We do not overcome our sin by hard work on our part. It's not salvation by works. It's salvation by faith in the blood of Jesus that transforms us and gives us regeneration, restores us. So we come, as I shared earlier, to the book of Revelation. And in the sixth chapter, we find an outline of what is going to happen in the time of the end. The first seal is opened. The League of Nations, the United Nations, coming as a a white horse, as a savior, He's given a bow and a crown, and he goes out to conquer. That's the United Nations. That's what they're doing today. The second seal, a red horse goes out, and he is given the power to take peace from the earth and cause men to slay one another, and a great sword is given to him, the atomic bomb, I believe. And we have slain many in the 20 and 21st centuries. The third seal. He broke the third seal and heard the living creatures saying, Come, I looked and behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii or one day's wage and three quarts of barley for a denarii, that is one one day's food, and do not damage the oil and the wine. In other words, there's a scale being used, and there are the elites as we see them today, and there is then everyone else, and we are to work for one day's food. In other words, we're to be poor slaves. That's what the world is turning into all over the world. There are the super rich, and the middle class is being utterly destroyed. Now in America, it's already been destroyed in India and in other parts of the world. But now it's happening in America, deliberately happening. There was no reason to shut down businesses for a so-called pandemic. It was just flu. It was artificial. And people died, but people die every year of the flu. It was hyped. It was fear-mongered. And now, we're going to work. Sometimes two or three jobs, just to make ends meet. For our food, for our, our sustenance, for what we have to have to live. And we've now come very close to the fourth seal being opened. Now, I recognize that there are people who say, no, none of the seals have been opened because it doesn't fit this and it doesn't fit that. Stop, stop. Just read the book with common sense. Just read the book. The lamb broke the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. That's war. The judgment of God that's about to fall upon the earth is war, and a fourth of the people of the earth are going to be involved in that war, and countless numbers are going to die. And the Lord says, go hide yourselves while his wrath is poured out against the iniquity of this earth. 
we must turn from wickedness. When the sixth seal is opened, there's a great earthquake. The sun turns black. The moon becomes blood. The stars of the sky fall to the earth. The figs cast unripe figs. The skies split apart like a scroll. Mountains and islands are moved out of their way. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong, every slave and free man, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. Jesus is coming. And we're going to see the great day of the Lord. And the word of the Lord to us is, hide yourself away. I'm in Washington, D.C. only for one reason, because this is where I've been assigned. This is my station, and I will remain faithful, and I will preach here until I am expelled, and then I'll know I'm finished. But there is yet going to come a great remorse in the hearts of God, God's people as they begin to understand the wrath of God that is coming against them because of their casualness and their sin and their treating as an unholy thing the blood of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a time of great sorrow and repentance in the church. Some will angrily turn away. Others will leave the church. But God has those he loves. I hope and pray you're included. Who will get right in every respect with God. And who will join together with me. In dealing emotionally, not just intellectually, with the wrath of God that is coming upon this earth. Give up your your normalcy bias, believing that everything's going to go back to normal. It's not going back to normal, brother or sister. Jesus is coming. <clears throat> I'm through here. I'm through with sin. I'm through with, with money. I'm through with ambition. I only want Jesus. And I can tell you today my heart is joyful. Because he will give me and he will give you a place of hiding from the wrath that is coming upon this earth. And let's be clear. Five minutes. The wrath is coming from the Lord God of heaven against all sin. And if you're not walking in sin, the wrath will not come against you. The wrath will not be for you. The wrath is not for the people of God. The wrath is for sinners. But if you call yourself a person of God, you call yourself a Christian, but you're still walking in the things I've just listed for you in Galatians, the fifth chapter, you're storing up wrath for yourself with pride and arrogance, with wickedness. And I'm pleading with you today, enter into the prayer closet. Ask the Lord what your condition is before him. Ask him to expose all wickedness in your heart and your life. Ask him, am I to continue watching this television? Am I to continue reading these things? Am I to continue doing certain things? He will tell you what he wants you to do. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I'm so excited about that. I want Jesus to come. And I'm trusting that he will hide me away. Either hide me away in the grave or hide me away in some safe place where I will weather with other beloved brothers and sisters the storm that's coming upon the earth. And he will be my provision and he will be your provision. The Lord is slow to anger. He's patient. He's kind. He's merciful. But he is utterly intolerant of rebellion and sin.
And if you believe the lie that you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and you're still walking in this world and all of its wickedness, you still love the clubs, you still love the television, you still love the entertainments of the world. Are you kidding me? Stop playing games with Jesus. He is the mighty judge. And we are going under the judgments of God. The time has come. Now, I urge you to listen carefully tomorrow. We're going to look very closely at the personal issues of judgment. Today was an introduction for tomorrow's broadcast. And then Friday, we'll have a day of prayer, of supplication, of repentance. I'm very concerned. There are many of you I've not heard from yet this month. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. I walk together with you, brothers and sisters. Thank you for walking with me. We're coming to the end of the month. I'm trusting Jesus to move in the hearts of those he's called. If you're called, I know you'll know what to do. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I urge you review these passages I've given you and be ready tomorrow. We're going to go deeper in this issue of judgment. It will not be an easy broadcast, but it's one we need to do. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory with great joy.